Good morning. Let's uh, go ahead and and uh, get started as everyone's making their way in. Uh, we are back in our conscience study this morning, back in chapter 5. We're going to be wrapping up chapter 5, Lord willing, this morning. Uh, so we'll be starting on page 107 and, uh, and hopping back in there uh, to finish up chapter 5 on how we should relate to fellow Christians whose consciences differ from ours. Um, it's been a really good study so far. This is probably arguably the most practical section of this book in how we relate to each other and how we actually uh, rub shoulders with, with one another when our, when our consciences disagree. Uh, let's go ahead and, and, uh, and go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Lord God, uh, we need you this morning. Uh, we need you with us and, and guiding us and uh, helping us as we look at this very important study of, of uh, our conscience, the, the gift that you've given us uh, to uh, direct us, to, to uh, uh, guide us in the way that you would have us to go uh, when it's, when it's uh, calibrated according to your word. And that's what we're aiming to do this morning is study uh, how to, how to uh, relate to one another in, in helping each other with our consciences uh, not to be a stumbling block to one another. I pray that you would guide our discussions and, and open our hearts to, uh, to receive uh, wonderful truths from your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so uh, we have looked so far in, in this conscience study um, what our conscience is. Uh, we've looked at how to train it. If you look at the cover, what it is, how to train it, we've covered those two. Now we're looking at loving those who differ. And uh, uh, as I said, we're picking up back in chapter 5 uh, to just get us kind of oriented back in, uh, just scan back to, chap to page 85 at the beginning of chapter 5. And uh, just recall with me, I think Tyler was in this section, uh, we were in this section with uh, him teaching, and you'll recall the article that he passed out uh, from, I believe it was Al Mohler, um, and on theological triage uh, and triage and it's covered in the book here as well not quite as in depth as that article went over it but uh, triage of course is a medical term uh, if any of, us, any of us have been to the ER uh, with a relatively small injury like a cut on our hand or something like that and, and your weight is extended while you see other people pushing past you in the emergency room and they're getting called back uh, because they have more extensive problems like heart attacks or strokes or uncontrolled bleeding, things like that. Uh, and, and you're wondering why your weight's being extended. It's because triage is being implemented in that emergency room. They're actually moving people ahead with more serious problems than you have. And someone's making that judgment call, right, who is, uh, who is more critical and who's less critical. And they're putting people into categories based on their training. And, uh, and it's to save lives in that sense. Um, it's pretty, pretty easy to understand, even if it's a cause of impatience for us when we're, when we're the one with the small injury. Um, theological triage works much in the same way. It breaks Bible teachings into more important and less important uh, uh, categories. And you might say, well, everything in the Bible is important. It is. All Bible uh, teaching, doctrine is important. 
but there are different levels of importance within Scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.3, uh, just go ahead and turn there, and, and we'll see where Paul makes that argument. In 1 Corinthians 15.3, when someone gets that, if you would go ahead and read it. Someone have 1 Corinthians 15.3? Okay, go ahead, sir. Okay, and he goes on to, to make the, uh, the whole uh, argument for who Christ is and what he did. So Christ is of first importance. So I'm, I'm just using that as, a, as, a, as an argument from Scripture that there are first importance, second important, third tier uh, issues even in Scripture. And, and when we're dealing with the conscience, that, of course, is true as well. Um, uh, first level issues being Jesus, fully God fully man. Uh, Christ died sacrificially for our sins. If we're disagreeing on those things, those are first level issues. Uh, it's hard to take. It's impossible to take someone seriously who, who calls themselves a Christian and says, but I don't really believe that Jesus was fully God. Uh, well, that's, that's a problem, right? That's a first tier issue that's going to break fellowship on a Christian level with that brother or with that person. Second level issues such as God's sovereignty and salvation. Um, some would argue baptism would fit into that category. Uh, these are things that are important, but they're, they're not first-tier issues. We can have uh, brotherly fellowship with people who disagree with us, even on second-level issues. This church is a great example of that. And then third-level issues are matters of conscience. These are things that are not trivial, uh, not trivial at all. They're things that are important, but they're not rising to the level of first-tier issues. So issues like uh, how you keep the Lord's Day, um, clothing choices, what does modesty look like to you or for you? These are conscience issues. Genesis 6, who are the sons of God? Um, you know, those are, those are things that are not trivial. We shouldn't just sweep them under the rug and say they don't matter. It's not to the level of, you know, what color carpet is in the sanctuary. I know that causes divisions in some churches. I don't think that would cause a division in our church. Uh, I hope not. But, uh, but Again, these are issues of conscience. Uh, so uh, as, we, as we get back in then to chapter 5, last uh, Sunday, uh, Richard took us through the first six principles that they lay out here uh, for how to deal with people when our consciences differ. Uh, so it started on page uh, 80, uh, I'm sorry, page 96, uh, at the bottom of page 96, and uh, Richard worked us through the first six uh, of these principles. I'll just read over them again just to remind us. So uh, as we deal with people when our consciences differ, again, these are things on the third level issues and even some second level issues. Welcome those who disagree with you. Uh, number two is over on 99. Those who have freedom of conscience must not look down on those who don't. And all of these are coming. It's really a commentary. This is a commentary on Romans chapter 14. So we're working through Romans 14, and I think the first seven verses of 15, chapter 15, um, and that's how the, how the authors, authors are working us through these 12 principles. They're coming straight from Romans uh, 14 and 15. Uh, so those who have freedom of conscience must not look down on those who don't. Uh, bottom, uh, middle of page 100, number three, 
Those whose conscience restricts them must not be judgmental toward those who have freedom. Okay, and then on 103, number four, each believer must be fully convinced of their position in their own conscience. And then moving on over to 106, principle number five, assume that others are partaking or refraining for the glory of God. Uh, very important, very important key point here. Our assumptions uh, are very important when we put the best possible light on the situation. Either someone is partaking or someone not partaking, someone with a weaker faith, and we'll talk about that again and, and remind us what that means from Paul's definition here of, of weak and strong, but someone with a weaker faith or a stronger faith, either one, assume that they are glorifying God. That's what their intent is. Um, number six, uh, on page 107, do not judge each other in these matters because we will all someday stand before the judgment seat of God. So that gets us caught up to page 108, and that's where we'll pick up this morning at the top there. Uh, so before we get started, is there any thoughts or any comments that, um, that anyone has before we get started on principle number eight? Okay, principle number seven, uh, top of 108. Freedom to eat meat is correct but don't let your freedom destroy the faith of a weaker brother. Uh, can somebody read for us that section? It's printed there in your book from Romans 14, 13 through 15. Okay, all right, so the responsibility here <clears throat> is to both the strict and to the strong. So the strict conscience, uh, one who has um, um, a weaker faith, as Paul uh, defines it, a weaker faith. And again, this isn't a saving faith. This is not the weak uh, faith in Christ. This is uh, a weakness that my faith will not allow me to do this or that. That's how Paul uses this weak faith definition. It's not that you are less than or not saved or, or not quite saved or anything like that. This is a weak, uh, a weak conscience that won't allow you to do a certain thing or, or mandates that you do a certain thing, right? Where the strong is my faith is strong enough that it allows me freedom in this area to either choose to do it or not to do it. Does that make sense? So the strong here should bear with the weak. Uh, notice that uh, he says there in the second, well, the third paragraph down there that starts, but the second half of Romans 14, the second half of Romans 14 places the bulk of the responsibility on Christians with a strong conscience. One obvious reason is that they are strong, so God calls them to bear with the weaknesses of the weak. Not only that, of the two groups, only the strong have a choice. So the strong 
faith has the choice. I can do this thing or I cannot do this thing or I can go this place or I cannot choose to go this place. Uh, they have the, the ability to choose, whereas the weak faith or the one with the weaker conscience can't choose. He's bound by his conscience to, to uh, do one choice, one, one option. And so it is the responsibility of the strong to not infringe upon the conscience of the weak. Uh, they must use this gift wisely by considering how their actions affect the sensitive consciences of their brothers and sisters. So um, now, uh, as we explain chapter 3, uh, down in this uh, last um, paragraph there on, chap on page 108, as we explain in chapter 3, one of the two great principles of the human conscience is to obey it. Remember, that was, that was number one, principle number one, obey it. To disobey your conscience can actually jeopardize one's eternal destiny. And the truth leads, this truth leads Paul to spend the bulk of Romans 14 and half of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8 on the stumbling block principle, right? So the stumbling block principle is that we dare not cause a weaker brother to, to fall, uh, to sin, and to go against their conscience. So this isn't the same thing as just irritating our brother or sister. It's not the same thing as just causing uh, frustration or irritation. Uh, and, and it's also um, uh, not saying that we shouldn't uh, just put up with our weaker brothers or sisters. Like we just, uh, just you know, kind of push through it. Uh, that bear up that he says doesn't mean we just kind of deal with it like you would an annoying sibling or someone you're just stuck with for a while, a coworker. Uh, it's, it's not just an annoyance. We should be concerned about not bringing spiritual harm to our brother or sister. Does any, anyone have any thoughts on that? Yeah, Philip. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Was that, was that it? Okay, okay, so we're going to get to the weaker brother because the weaker brother also has responsibility here in this same section. The weaker brother uh, is, is to, let's read that again. Uh, the weaker brother is, is to not infringe or not to, not to, you know, judge the one who is stronger. So, uh, I thought it was in this section. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm struggling there. I'm sorry? 109. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Get me back on track here. So let's just read this together. The concern here is not merely that your freedom may irritate, annoy, or offend your weaker brother or sister. If a brother or sister simply doesn't like your freedoms, that's their problem. But if your practice of freedom leads your brother or sister to sin against their conscience, then it becomes your problem. Christ gave up his life for that brother or sister. Are you willing to give up your freedom if that would help your fellow believer avoid, avoid sinning against conscience? That's what this passage is talking about when it refers to putting a stumbling block in, uh, in, uh, in another's way. We shouldn't bring spiritual harm to others. So it's really, it's about protecting. 
It's about, uh, it's about watching out for our weaker brother. Uh, and again, the, the responsibility here primarily goes to the stronger because they have the choice. Yeah, Richard. Right, right. That's right. That's right. So your question is, how do we know that someone has a weaker conscience? Well, I would, I would think they would have to tell you if they have a problem with something. Yeah, I think that you would be relying on them to just tell you their, their, uh, their problem, and that would just be, you know, knowing what their particular convictions are on a certain issue. Uh, so, uh, at the bottom of page 109, uh, well, I don't want to skip this one, this one section here. Doug Moo, uh, he quotes this here. I think this is uh, really important, too. Uh, how might we use our spiritual freedoms to bring harm to other professing believers? This kind of might, might help explain uh, what we're trying to talk about here. Uh, Doug Moo gives two main possibilities how this might happen. One, our engaging in an activity that another believer thinks to be wrong may encourage that other believer to do it as well. They would then be sinning because they are not acting from faith. Remember the principle, obey your conscience. So if we're making them go against their conscience or encouraging them to go against their conscience, they would not be, they would not be acting from faith. It would be a sin to them. Number two, it's another possibility that an ostentatious flaunting of liberty on a particular matter may be so deeply offended, uh, may be so deeply, may have so deeply offended someone that he or she may turn from the faith altogether. And so to, to uh, just basically rub it in their faces that we have a freedom uh, to do this or that, um, I would say that's different than someone showing up at your house when you're grilling burgers. Uh, would, would you agree? So um, if, you're, if you're not uh, putting the stumbling block in front of them as a, as a way to discourage them or to encourage them to go against their conscience, uh, then I would, I would say you're on the right track. Uh, bottom of 109, once again, we must emphasize that the stumbling block principle does not teach that we must refrain from an activity that another believer may simply disagree with. And they give the example of, of the versions of of uh, the Bible, King James, uh, onlyism, many people adhere to that, uh, yet they don't see the need to not use the King James version just because someone may disagree with them on that particular issue. Um, I, I'm sorry, to use the King James version. They don't see the need to give up the use of the English Standard or, or NIV or what have you uh, just because some people may disagree with them on that particular issue. Um, so. Uh, that said, there at the bottom, Christian love and flexibility may lead us in certain instances to 
use the King James Version if you know that that will be easily received, more easily received by a particular uh, brother or sister. So there's flexibility, you see. I mean, some, some consciences are, are bound and some are free. And the ones with the free conscience have the flexibility to bear with the, the ones of the, of the consciences who are bound. Um, let's see. At the top of page 111, I wanted to highlight that. We must never allow the conscience of others to determine our own conscience. And this goes both ways. Someone with a strong conscience, uh, of course, should not uh, cause, like we've talked about, cause someone with a weaker conscience to, uh, to adopt their freedoms. At the same time, someone with a weaker conscience should not force their convictions on those with uh, the stronger conscience, uh, because that would be legalism. Um, all right, let's move on to number eight. Uh, so we can get through these. Disagreements about eating and drinking are not important in the kingdom of God. Building each other up in righteousness, peace, and joy is the important thing. Will someone read uh, Romans 14, 16 to 21? It's printed there on 111. Go ahead, Caleb. Thank you. So the New Testament uh, does repeatedly lay down the principle that, uh, that God does not have a preference on what we eat in the New Testament, New Covenant. Um, and they, they walk through several, uh, several passages as, as that's laid out. Uh, the Lord Jesus, of course, in Mark 7, uh, 1 to 23, all food is to be received with thanksgiving. Uh, Peter was shown very clearly that uh, in Acts 10 uh, that, that all food was to be uh, received. There was nothing unclean. Um, in 1 Corinthians 8.8, 8, uh, Paul said it very clearly, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Um, and then in Romans 14, uh, verse 7, uh, the kingdom of heaven is not about eating and drinking. So God really doesn't care about what we eat. And so the top of page 112, they, they kind of played the devil's advocate. And they're like, well, what, wouldn't God care if you put poison into your body? And this is where, again, it gets back into uh, the, Christian, <clears throat> the Christian life is more on the why than it is on the what. And so it's, it's really more about the heart. It goes back to the heart of the matter. Why are we doing a particular thing versus what we're doing? What am I talking about? Well, in the case of the poison, for example, 
if you're taking the poison into your body to end your life, there is a huge heart problem there that we need to address, right? Uh, so it, it would not only be why you're taking the poison, but why you feel like you need to end your life. We could keep drilling down in biblical counseling uh, that's called diagnostic questions. We're going to ask to try to get to the heart of the reason why you're in that position uh, versus someone who's taking a chemo treatment, for instance, or antibiotics. Uh, those are types of poisons, strictly speaking, and yet they're taken for the cure of a disease. And so that's entirely different. And so to make the statement, just the blanket statement that God doesn't want you to put poison in your body, is, is misguided. Does that make sense? Any thoughts? Yeah, Philip. I think that's a sensitive topic, and again, it goes back to the conscience. Uh, it really goes back to the conscience. Uh, uh, there are cases, obviously, when medication's needed. Uh, there is in, in certain situations. Um, there are cases when uh, medication is needed to clear the heart so that you can be addressed, you know, heart issues can be addressed. Uh, so, but again, these are conscience issues. Does someone with more experience than me want to address that.
Ms. Don, and then I'll, I'll take yours, Mr. Ray. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Amen. Uh, Mr. Ray's ahead of you, and then I'll get you, Mr. Joel.
Mr. Joel. That's what's so important about this study is that you know our conscience. We can't flaunt our conscience on someone else, and and it may be a sin for one individual to take psychotropic, psychotropic drugs or uh, anxiety meds or whatever, but it's not for another, and and that's that's that is the fact. It's a third tier issue, right? Again, as we think back through our our triage of of first importance, second importance, third importance, wherever you put that, we can't say that it's a first tier issue because it doesn't affect our, our salvation. Uh, yeah, Candy.
right. Amen. Good discussion. Good points. Uh, let's move on to uh, point number 10 or principle number 10 there um, down bottom half or bottom section there on page 113. A person who lives according to their conscience is blessed. So uh, this comes from Romans 14, 22b to 23. Uh, would somebody read that for us? So this gift that God's given us of the conscience, and we've, we've already discussed some specific points uh, of even in this room of consciences who differ within this room, but the point is that, that Paul is making here is that this gift that God's given us, our individual consciences here, is a gift to increase our joy. Uh, I, I, I read John Piper all through this section because this is, this is John Piper's heart cry is that we are most satisfied or we're most joyful when we're most satisfied in Christ. Uh, so uh, Paul says that it's, it's dangerous. This is actually a quote there that starts on 113. Uh, this quote's actually D.A. Carson. They have it set in quotation marks there. Uh, Paul judges it dangerous for Christians to defy their consciences because if they get in the habit of ignoring the voice of conscience, they may ignore that voice even when the conscience is well informed and properly warning them of something that is positively evil. And so the danger here is that on, on issues that we may not be uh, fully informed from Scripture on, that our conscience is biting us over and telling us we, we should not do or should do this or that, for us to go against that even on the smaller issues without doing the work that we did back in, in I think it was chapter 4, of calibrating the conscience correctly, uh, if we're just pushing it aside and moving through, it's going to sear us. It's going to eventually wear us down so that we are ignoring it even, or potentially ignoring it even on issues that are clear in Scripture. Does that make sense? And so it's a gift that God gives us like the gift of touch and pain receptors in our fingers keeps us from, from burning our hand severely. Um, and yet, over time, if we burn ourselves enough in small ways, my wife uh, has a specific propensity for burning herself when she's pulling things out of the oven and, and working around the kitchen, and, and uh, it hurts me every time I see her do it. And, and I, I've told her, "Hun, you need to be careful and use hot pads more carefully. And, and when I burn myself, I'm jumping around and hurting and, and hollering, and she's like, doesn't even, doesn't even phase her anymore. And I'm like, well... How do you, and she said, well, my fingers have gotten so burnt that they don't even, they don't have pain receptors, you know, it's not hurting me like it used to. I think she's just trying to make me feel better for, <laughs> and it's a much kinder way of saying you're a wimp, but, but, uh, but be that as it may, it is possible to damage our, our nerves to the point where they, they don't uh, give us the same warning signals in the same way it is with our conscience. Uh, does anyone have any thoughts on, on that? Let's, uh, let's go along to number 11 here so that we don't run out of time. We must follow the example of Christ who put others first. Romans 15, 1 to 6. Can somebody read that section for us?
Okay, go ahead, Alan. Okay, so we're given the example of Christ here, um, and, and this principle, it doesn't mean that we have to agree with the position of the weak. So if we're in the strong position, we have a freedom of conscience on a particular issue, this principle of following Christ's example, putting others first, uh, doesn't mean that we have to agree with them. Uh, in our hearts on that on that issue it also doesn't mean that we can never exercise our freedoms uh, ever again uh, what it does mean is that uh, we gladly help uh, the weak brother in in their walk and and again this isn't just about putting up with someone but it's actually wanting to further them and 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 uh, build them up in their faith and and this is putting others ahead of ourselves as Christ did. Uh, Philippians 2 comes to mind, right? Paul's example of using Jesus as the example of humility and in putting others ahead of himself. Um, and the thought here is that if Christ was willing to give up the freedoms that he had and come to earth, wrap himself in human flesh, submit himself to the pain of death and, and bear our sins on him, on his, on his very being, uh, if he could do all of that for us, then uh, surely we can give up a freedom here or there in certain instances uh, for one another. So that's kind of the, uh, the point that Paul's getting at there. Uh, is there any, any comments on that? Okay, so what Caleb, what Caleb made the comment was, was that strong, strong people are usually people who eat food, eat the right kind of food, right? And so we might have a stronger conscience if we stay in the Word of God more versus a weak person wouldn't be in the Word. I, I, that's a good thought, and that does apply to a certain kind of faith. But in this particular area, strong and weak isn't necessarily in that, uh, in that category. So strong, the strong conscience and I, I'm just going to teach on this just a little bit because I think it is important. A strong conscience can actually swing all the way into a heretical uh, position. If you look back again, this is a really helpful, um, uh, helpful chart on page 94. And there's also one that's maybe a little simpler that we could look at on page 91. Uh, let's just turn to that one. On 91, uh, for the sake of time, 
So you'll see where he has strong conscience on the left, which distorts the gospel. So this is all the way on the far side where uh, someone uh, carelessly crosses the line into lawlessness and immorality. So they may say, my conscience, I'm so strong in my faith that it doesn't bother me to feed the flesh through sinful uh, 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 passions and, and so on. They can cross the line into lawlessness or antinomianism uh, and, and take, uh, 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 subtract the law from their, from their lives, right? Which is a heretical, a heretical position. It's not a full understanding of the gospel. And yet that person has what could be defined by Paul as a strong conscience, a super strong, like a, like a Hulk conscience. But then on the weak side, you can also go into heresy on that side if you swing the pendulum and you, you end up in a legalistic position where you're binding everyone's consciences around you. And so the position is actually somewhere in the middle uh, that, that we should be striving for, uh, having a conscience that's informed by the word, like Caleb said, uh, but that is, that is uh, not drifting into arrogance or into judgmentalism. Um, is there any, any thoughts on that, Yetchel? That's right. I think it, it really a lot of our disagreements in, in dealing with each other comes from uh, not so much the issue itself, but it's where we put it in the theological triage tier. When we, make, uh, when we have a disagreement with someone, it's usually because we're disagreeing where it goes in that tier. In that, you know, it, someone may be calling something a first tier issue that we would say is a third tier issue or vice versa. Uh, so that's, that's a good point. All right, we are very close on time. Let's go ahead and touch on, on principle number 12 here before we bring it to a close. Uh, number 12, we bring glory to God when we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And so this is a good uh, way to wrap up this, this chapter. Uh, Paul bookends uh, this section uh, with the same phrase, welcome one another. Uh, he, he started in, in Romans 14, 1, welcome him, welcome one another. Uh, but now he adds a, a comparison. Uh, he adds, as Christ has welcomed us, and he adds a purpose phrase for the glory of God. So these, uh, these, this whole discussion really comes back to uh, looking to Christ as our primary example uh, for, for loving one another, for submitting to one another, for honoring one another. And then if we're doing that, we do it to the glory of God. Um, so that wraps up chapter five. We spent three weeks on this chapter, and I think we could probably spend a lot longer discussing these, these issues uh, because it is such a difficult uh, thing to parse out when we get down into these uh, 
practical issues of how we love one another well. Um, I think it's, uh, as the author said, it is easier said than done. Uh, but with God's help, we, uh, we certainly uh, can, can move in that direction as we spend time with him in the word and, and with one another, sharpening each other. Uh, any final thoughts before we close in prayer? Sarah. That's right. We're, we all have weak areas and strong areas in our, in our lives. All right. Uh, let's uh, close in prayer. Mr. Richard, would you close us in prayer, please?